If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah but he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless and at the time told no one what they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent, and Lent, as we know, is the time or the season of preparation. In the Christian calendar, where we prepare for the events of Holy Week, ultimately to end with the celebration of Easter. In the early church, Lent was a time for new Christians to prepare to be baptized. And for those who had fallen away from the church, it was a time for them to examine themselves and to do what they saw fit fit in order to uh, reacquaint and reintegrate themselves into the church. There are a few things you may notice during the season of Lent. For example, we remove the word hallelujah from the worship service. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And so ancient Christian tradition from the earliest church has removed this phrase during the six weeks of Lent so that we can truly celebrate when we say it on Easter Sunday. And so in our own worship service, you'll notice that the Gloria Patri is different after the affirmation of faith. And we also select hymns that don't use that word to help us to uh, prepare and to kind of anticipate the celebration of Easter. Individually, we might choose to give something up or add something to our day. And as I've mentioned to you in the announcements, the books are here if you'd like to read the Listen to Him devotional. Uh, if we run out, I can order more and have them by the end of this week. Uh, it'll accompany the sermon series in addition to uh, the Wednesday pastor's Bible studies that I'll be offering, the first at the noon hour and then the second at 6 p.m. Um, both will last about an hour. We'll watch a video that goes along with the series. We'll discuss what we've read, and if you haven't picked up a book, I'd encourage you to do so, or just read the electronic version, whichever you prefer. Right, this morning's scripture takes us to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, and if you look at Luke's Gospel, it's arranged in, in different ways, because at Luke chapter 9, there's a significant shift that Jesus does, or has. It's about verse 51, I think, if I remember off the top of my head. If anyone's looking and I'm wrong, it's still in Luke chapter 9. But uh, the, it says to us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that he set his face towards Jerusalem and then immediately went to Jerusalem, but I think what we see and what Luke wants us to see is that there is this shift that occurs in the ministry of Jesus and in the life of Jesus and in what he is doing and in the way that he is teaching the disciples. As he is orienting everything that he is doing 
to approaching Jerusalem and to going through what we remember is Holy Week from Palm Sunday to Jesus in the Last Supper, the Passover with the disciples, to his betrayal, to his trial, and ultimately to his crucifixion. And so in preparation for this significant shift, we read this morning's scripture where Jesus has taken James and Peter and John who we might refer to as the big three in terms of the disciples, if there's anything significant that's happening in terms of Jesus' ministry or in terms of God appearing to him, often the scripture tells us that Peter, James, and John were there, or some variety of the three of them. And he's taken them to a mountaintop. Oh, on the map, if you'll look up here, I know it may be a little small, I don't know, but there are two options of where people believe that the Mount of Transfiguration is or the mountain where Jesus um, experienced the transfiguration that we read about in Luke chapter 9. The first is Mount Tabor, and so you'll see the Sea of Galilee to the lower part of the map, and then Mount Tabor is right there to the left. So for those of you that have been to the Holy Land, this is a mountain that we drive around pretty much all the time when we're at the Sea of Galilee and in this region, because it's right there. So geographically, it's in Israel. It's located near the Sea of Galilee. Since we know much of Jesus' ministry was associated around the Sea of Galilee, it could make sense that the the location was there, that, that the transfiguration occurred. The second location is farther north. And so you'll see it up in the very top corner, and that's Mount Hermon. That's also in modern day Israel. Mount Hermon is where a lot of the snow falls that then when it melts, it drains and that's what feeds the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee and then all the way down to the Dead Sea. But Mount Hermon is is more likely the destination because this location is also where Jesus has taken the disciples eight days before to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi we know historically is a place where uh, the Greeks and the Romans worshipped many other gods and even other gods had been worshipped worshiped there before the Romans uh, took over this region. And so this is the place where Jesus took the disciples away from the crowds and he asked them the question, who do the people say that I am? Now you may be familiar with this story. Remember the disciples look at each other and they say, well, I mean, some of, some of them say you're Moses and some of them say you're Elijah and well, I mean, we really don't know. And then Peter says, you're the Messiah. And so Jesus affirms the decide, this, this, uh, affer- this announcement, doesn't he? And then he tells the disciples that the Son of Man must be taken from them in order to return. So Jesus is affirmed in who he is, and he confirms who he is in this place. But then he also gives the disciples this greater p- puzzle when he says the Son of Man's going to have to go in order to come back. I think the disciples had more questions in this place as opposed to answers, don't you? And they were now left with the following questions. Maybe questions like, who is Jesus to me? Or who is Jesus to us together? Or who is Jesus to everyone, to the world? And I don't know about you, but as I read these questions and I think about them, Are these not questions that are questions that all of us face and have all of us have have posed to us to some degree? They're not unique to the disciples. 
nor are they unique to the earliest Christians that followed Jesus or the earliest Christians that became a part of the church shortly after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. These are questions that really aren't even exclusive to Christians, are they? Because at some point, everyone has to decide for themselves, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to us? And who is Jesus to the world? Now, as followers of Jesus, I think we've answered that question in saying he's our Messiah, he offers us salvation, he's the Son of God who took upon himself the sins of the world and died on the cross, he's the one who did so much for us and and gave to us the gift of the Holy Spirit through the work of God and his death. But see, we go further than just answering that first question, who is Jesus to me? By wrestling with him and wrestling with the question in the way that that believing in him invites us to live differently, doesn't it? As we seek direction for our lives. And so in our scripture, Peter, James, and John have gone with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration, to Mount Hermon, where he was going to spend time in prayer. As appears to be a normal instance, the disciples are nearly asleep while Jesus is in prayer. This is also the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? The disciples were dozing off as Jesus was in prayer. And Luke writes that they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as two men with him. And so Peter, James, and John have witnessed Moses and Elijah appearing in glorious splendor and talking with Jesus. I think the three of them are in awe, as I think of every one of us would be if we witnessed this, right? They've seen the glory of the Lord revealed in Moses, representing the law. They've seen the glory of the Lord now revealed in Elijah, as he represents the prophets. They see how the two of these come together in Jesus to to show to us and to show to them that Jesus was the culmination of, of both the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. He's fulfilling all of these things that they had read and they were looking for and they were anticipating. And Luke is the only gospel writer that writes what they are actually discussing when it says Moses and Elijah met with Jesus and they discussed his departure in Jerusalem. And so Peter, James, and John witness this. They stand in awe. And they experience this without even really fully understanding. They're witnessing and it's only later when they become fully awake that they're able to see his glory. So they've been unable to see the glory of Jesus, if you think about it, until until now. I don't know if they've been going through the motions. I don't know if they've been following Jesus just to to see what was happening, or, or maybe it was a little bit in between. But the important part that Luke wants us to see is that without being fully awake to the glory of Jesus, they were still following him, and they were still allowing themselves to be put in the place where they can encounter him. And so they're putting themselves in the place where they could listen. They were putting themselves in the place where they could witness God at work. They could put themselves in the place where they were able to experience all of these things even when they didn't fully understand. And so they were on their own journey that led to witnessing God's glory in Jesus, which is the same journey that you and I can be on during the season of Lent. Where we place ourselves in the presence of God, 
where we put ourselves in a place where we might experience the glory of Jesus, where we may not fully understand everything that's happening or has gone on as we read the scriptures and as we think about what has happened. See, they still put themselves in a place where they were going to encounter. They still put themselves in a place where they could hear and where they could see and where they could experience. And then God took over after that. There's another thing that jumps out at me from this morning's scripture, and that's Jesus went off to pray. I don't know how many times in the scriptures, and I didn't go count, so um, that we read where Jesus goes off to pray. But see, we can't have eyes to see the work of God around us and in the person of Jesus if we are not a person of prayer. We can't hear the voice of God if we're not a person who puts ourselves in a place where we are willing to listen to God or we are available to hear the voice of God. I have to wonder how much I miss or we miss because we don't focus on on the voice of God around us. Or maybe we keep ourselves so focused on the noise of this world. And there's a lot of noise in this world, isn't there? To where we don't focus on the presence and the voice of God that is around us or in the the voices of those that are around us. Friends, to listen, we have to be a a people of prayer. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter wants to build shelters. And without spending a lot of time talking about that, I think the most important part that we can read from that that goes along with with what we're looking at is the word of God in this. He says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And that was it. And so God's saying of all the things that you are going to see and you are going to witness and you are going to experience, the thing that you need to do is to listen to Jesus. They were to hear the voice of him in order to know what God intended for them and their relationship with him. And really that's the heart of of what this journey is during the season of Lent and of really what every Lenten journey is is that if we're intentional in trying to grow in our faith and in trying to grow in our relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, then we have to listen. Where we seek to hear His voice, where we try to avoid the the temptation of of believing that we're already ready. I mean, I know sometimes that that we we take to to, to our time of prayer believing that we have it all together or believing that we already have the answers or, or thinking that we already know what the Scripture is telling us. And so we read it with our blinders on. We read it with an idea of what it already says. And sometimes, and really what God wants us to do, is to read the Scriptures with our eyes open. Where we are listening to Him. Listening to His Word. Listening to His Spirit. Listening to what He is saying to us as we read the Scriptures that contain everything for our salvation. I'll be honest, this instruction of God sounds a lot easier than it is to put into practice, isn't it? We have to listen to the words of Jesus as we hear his voice and as we read and study. We have to listen to his voice as we worship and praise his name. It's much harder for us to, to listen in the world that we're in because listening is hard. 
I read a statistic that an average human being speaks 860,341,500 words in their lifetime. So that means in our family of four, there's a lot of words that get used. We're surrounded by words. Written. Words we hear. Words we read on screens or computer monitors. Words we see on our phones. In the Bible, there's roughly uh, 787,000 words. Of that, only three... Of the number of words, 780,000, only 36,000 are words attributed to Jesus. And if you take out the, the words that are repeated in the synoptic gospels, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have stories that are the same and overlap, the words of, Je of Jesus are about 20,000. Friends, in those 20,000 words are the words that we need for forgiveness and for renewal and for reconciliation, and for resurrection, and for life. In those 20,000 words are words that have the potential to change my life and to change your own. In those words, we have the opportunity for our futures to be changed. And in those words, you and I receive eternal life. See, those are the words that when God met the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, those are the words he's saying to listen to, isn't he? When he says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. This Lenten season, we can commit to listen to Jesus. And when we hear, we've got to ask ourselves, how am I going to respond because there's no way that for us to know what listening to Jesus will do for our lives and for our future. But what we can know and what we can be assured of is that the words he speaks are words that give us life and that they are words that are good. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 33, Jesus told the disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Friends, the transfiguration is just the beginning. As Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem. It's the beginning as God shows us that ministry with him and a relationship with him doesn't always and only happen on a mountaintop. But that God comes off the mountain in Jesus to be a part of our lives. The transfiguration shows us the glory of Jesus. And the transfiguration reminds us of the Word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ, who invites us to join Him on the journey as we set our eyes towards Jerusalem and as we listen to Him.